You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Good afternoon. It's Tuesday, January 14th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp, and today I'm in the studio with our producer, Tani Levitt. We're going to do a more loose and casual debriefing on last night's national title game. Again, if you want a more rigorous deep dive into what happened, check out the episode we posted last night with Charles Power and then Chris Hummer and Trey Scott, who are both in New Orleans for the game. We'll be back on Wednesday morning with another look back. So, Tani, I'm going to kind of turn the reins over to you from this point in. Um, let's let's get into it. Yeah. So, so, so I texted you like at one in the morning last night. I was like, I think, I think we should do another show. I think, I think we should do another show today. And I could hear you groaning <laughs> from your house. So, so my first question for you is, and, 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 and for you guys at home, let me explain my idea here. It's like, we are not ready to give up last night. We are not ready to give up this season. And, and, and it's weird because like the college football season, we rip it off like a minute and boom, it's over. And it's just like, but I, I'm like riding high off of last night. That was a yeah. crazy game. It's been an awesome season. And so uh, we, I wanted to just drag this out for as long as possible. So, so my first question to you, Connor, is what was your setup at home? Because I know, I know you've got a family there and the, this game went late. This yeah. game went late. So what was your setup at home watching? So my setup at home was... We had we had to execute a toddler bedtime by seven o'clock central time, which is about when he goes down. And he was and he was half awake for much of the first half. He ended up we ended up having a nighttime dirty diaper situation we had to deal with. So I'm on the couch. I live in a very small house. And so my where I watch TV is adjacent to the toddler's room. So um, uh, so it was me and my wife watching the game on the on in our living room TV I and maybe this is where we can get into like the different feeds and which yeah. you watch I personally I started out wanting to watch the coaches feed but a combination of factors ultimately pushed me toward the more conventional broadcast with uh, the Herb Street with Herb Street and Fowler yeah um, and so so what it was was a my 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 wife, you know, she she she's a college football fan, but the coach's film room is a little bit more inaccessible to someone who isn't like a super hardcore. There's a lot more to keep track of. Yeah, there's a lot, and there are a lot less. And and ultimately, like why I personally was on board for moving to the Herb Street and Fowler broadcast is you kind of take for granted how many cues about what is going on. At any given moment, you you get during a broadcast from the way the game is produced, whether it's down and distance, uh, time on the clock, and that that information is available in the coach's film room broadcast, but it's um, much less line. front and center. The yellow line, 
right? Like yeah. that, that one's huge. And people talk about, oh, well, it's, it's official, it's not official. It's still helpful for the viewer. Yeah, so I think ultimately what, where we landed is DVR'd the coach's broadcast. Go back and revisit that one later. I've, I've noticed a lot of people in, in past years have done that. And so they, they get like a second bite at the apple of the national title game, kind of like the director's cut version of the national oh. title game. So like you're saying, like we're not quite ready to let it go. This is kind of this weird thing. There's something about bowl season and the way it's all stretched out. And now you've got national signing day plopped down in the middle of it where just the way it's set up sometimes – covering the sport I question my love for it during this time and then you get the national title game a lot of times it's a really good game like it was for much of last night and then I'm like man I, I'm not ready to let this go after all yeah I mean I I started on the main broadcast and quickly moved over to the weird sideline one with mm. the Thursday night ESPN crew and I loved it okay I really wish I had a bigger TV just generally speaking I wish I had a bigger TV I'm rocking a 32 incher right now but for, for this broadcast they basically like had um, Amin and either uh, Pat McAfee or um, Dan Orlovsky on one sideline and Steve Levy and the other guy on the other sideline. And, and each of them had like a box on the thing and they were like running up and down the broadcast. And what I missed with the main broadcast that I loved about the ESPN2 broadcast was that the, the, the guys in the main broadcast are so serious and this mm -hmm. is this is life and death and this is you know j on par with uh, uh, bombings in Iran and and that kind of seriousness didn't feel right for me college football to me is like raucous and it's exciting and it's tailgates and it brings me back to like when I was in college and when I was in college football was just a big old party and and if there if there was a broadcast that represented that part of college football, it was the ESPN2 broadcast. And, that, and it, so even though it was distracting and I wished that the the uh, video on the sideline reporters was like maybe a quarter of the screen instead of a third of the screen, it was awesome. And it was just like all over the place. And that's exactly what, like, I mean, that was what the game was like. That was what the season was like. You know, like that, 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 that just crazy all over the place college football. Yeah. Yeah. Tony, you're talking about... Um college college football being a party when you were school in school and I, I don't know uh, how this syncs up with when you were an undergrad but what is your relationship to the video of the Maryland fan like crushing the beer can on her head and then like opening it by crushing it on her head and then she like drinks it all at once and like flips her hair back and then the camera like cuts it might the look on your face tells me you don't know what um I'm, I'm just about. I'm just so proud to be a Terp right now. Like really, <laughs> really I'm just whoever you are, like good for you. You know, really <laughs> You know, Pat McAfee talked about that being good for the things that were good for the brand. Usually he was talking about punting. Well, you know what? That what she did was good for the brand. And unfortunately, I, I am I am unaware of this. And there, there are two possibilities. <sighs> One, it could be life. before my time. Or two, I could have been partaking in such festivities and forgotten that it happened. So, okay. so, so yes, that's exactly that's exactly the vibe that I I love about college football. And and I think at the end of the game, you could already see that for the LSU fans. 
and the LSU players and the LSU community, that was exactly the, what they were going to embrace post game. This was not going to be a serious affair. This was not going to be, you know, and 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 it, it was not like the Heisman, right? This is right. this is going to be Bourbon Street. Yeah, I mean, you're right there. <laughs> I mean, it could not be a, a better place for LSU to win a, a national title game. And I, th- I think, you know, everything, the players. And I think uh, one reporter said that he was, like, texting with somebody on the LSU staff. And, that I mean, they were just, like, already talking about. I mean, normally you're, like, getting intel on, like, uh, you know, plays that decided the game, but they're like talking about their their plans for going to party. Like, brilliant, yeah. brilliant. So that that leads me into my next question, and I'm going to go slightly out of order because the the way I formulated the question just now is way funnier. So Joe Burrow and Kojo leave the game. They shower, they change, and they walk out onto Bourbon Street. Who gets the better reception? Oh man, that is really. A tough call. I know. I've been thinking about it all night. Because, I mean, the two angles of this are you've got Ed Orgeron, who was kind of like not accepted in elite society out in California, returns. The king of the bayou. Returns home. The king of the bayou and takes LSU. I mean, not unprecedented heights because this is their fourth uh, claimed national championship, but in terms of what you're seeing I mean, out of the offense, tell, tell me there's a better LSU team. There's there's never no, been a better LSU. No, team. I mean even even the LSU teams that did win, one had two losses, and they're just not they're not super. They don't they're not. This they team is in contention for best team yes, of all time. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. So what uh, best in terms of like walk historical it performance? Walk it forward. Yeah. Walk I'll, it forward. I'll, I'll We're more not takes. walking it back. Um, so. There's that there's that aspect to it. You know, a lot of people he proved a lot of doubters wrong and everything. And then you got Joe Burrow who is, you know, like a, <laughs> a an immigrant to the south who embraced local traditions and assimilated and you know, rode that same uh, train of success with Coach O. So like I man, that I don't know. I it feels like a cop-out answer, but I I think they're on equal footing. All I can say is that I sincerely, sincerely hope that like LSU sent like a staffer along or like some sort of like young person, but nonetheless, someone who worked for the team to like protect Joe Burrow from the insanity. Like, oh man, I mean, there's just guys so much debauchery to the point where like, I can only imagine like, I you know, it could definitely rise to the level of, um, Sam Darnold mononucleosis situation, maybe even a little worse. You could definitely see a situation where Joe Burrow's in some unfortunate situations after last night if yeah. LSU wasn't careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well, I mean, for, from LSU's perspective, you know, he's uh, he, he doesn't need to compete anymore. So, I mean, I guess if you're just yeah, worried about his him, NFL you know? legacy. They yeah, love yeah, him. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. And so, so, so let, me, let me broaden the scope of this question. So is there a coach in college football anywhere who is more universally loved than Kojo right now? Uh, probably not. I mean, I'm sure there are very partisan Alabama fans or, or whatever who probably have worked up some kind of animus toward Coach O. But, I mean, given given his story, the, fa- the fact that he had some humbling experiences early on, failing at Ole Miss, kind of – Arguably unfairly being denied a chance at a big job at at USC, and you know, kind of 
overcoming a lot of people's perceptions about the way he talks and everything. There's there's a lot to like. I mean, it's a and his great, voice, his voice. I will never forget <laughs> the re, the reaction my wife had, like seeing Ed Orgeron talk on TV for the first time, and then she, her being like, "Wait, who is who is this person? What's going on?" I'm like, "That's LSU's head coach." She's like, "No, that can't be right." <laughs> yeah, just before I moved here for this job, what it was like the last Saturday night was at my parents' house, and it was LSU versus Texas, that crazy shootout. It was an mm-hmm. awesome game. My parents have like a 62 inch TV. It's amazing. So we watched this whole game. Me and my mom are like ordering my kitchen on Wayfair, and then the game ends and Orgeron comes on the TV and my mom's like what's his problem like what 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 did he do did he have like some sort of like procedure like what's going on I was like I think that's just how he is yeah yeah and yeah I mean it's 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 cool to see somebody like being their true self I mean there's there's no way you yeah. can like get around it uh when it's when it's your voice but just like to see him, you know, overcome that stigma that people have about it. And it's kind of come from being a joke where like people would post this old video of him doing uh, a Hummer, like the car, the not Chris Hummer. Uh, Shout out Chris, <laughs> more on that later. Um, uh, ad, I think when he was the coach at Ole Miss and like it's very difficult to make out what he's saying, which in the context of a commercial is like not the best, but it was uh, so to see him like come from being a punching line to now being celebrated for everything that he is. It's great. And if you if you don't if there's not even if you're a fan of a rival team, if there's not a part of you that can't be excited about that and appreciate that, then I question whether you have a heart, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So so that, that that's 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 my uh, Joe Burrow coach O conversation and and. I almost wonder, like nationally, like who's loved more. But I, I think I think you already hit it on the head. Like, how can you how can you disentangle the two? Uh, how could you how could you choose between the two at this very moment? Like Joe Burrow, Coach O, good for you guys. You're riding high. One 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 last thing on Joe Burrow is that he is so good at he's so good at embracing the LSU traditions. There was a video going around last night. Uh, Tani, I don't know if you are aware of uh, like the whole backstory behind uh, the LSU marching band playing Neck, which... No, I heard about this. I didn't know really what it was. So it's like there, it started with a cameo song called Talking Out of the Side of Your Neck, and then they've they they play it. They've like added some vulgar, problematic uh, uh, language to it that the, the fans chant while the band is playing it. And so for that reason, it has been, I think, it's been banned by the school. So since the game was not on campus last night, I guess they were able to play it. I'm not 100% sure on the specifics of all that. Anyway, it's like, because it was once a celebrated tradition and then became controversial, like LSU fans get like really excited when it plays. There's a Twitter account called Did. LSU play neck. It's just like any instance of the LSU marching band performing, it like says yes or no on whether they played neck. And there's this video uh, last night of uh, the, the 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 jumbotron captured Joe Burrow kind of like doing the hand motions and and mouthing along to to the words. And so he's just like he's like almost like a really crafty politician. I mean, not not to say that it's not and genuine. He, and he's a brilliant speaker. Yeah, like this all it all it all comes together. He, I mean, 
he he's very polished. He doesn't come off as polished. You know, he's not, he's not like slicked back. He's just very earnest, very honest. He embraces it. And, you know, one of the things that like I talk about a lot is you know just like embracing fun mm-hmm. and and looking for reasons to get hype and looking for reasons to have a good time. And every bit of Joe Burrow in LSU in Baton Rouge screams, "I'm looking to embrace things, find the best in them, and have the most fun possible." And and I think there's this element too with Joe Burrow that kind of distinguishes him from Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, in terms of the trash. There, there, there in was terms no of antagonism. And yeah, in terms of the trash talk that he does, like with Baker Mayfield and Johnny Manziel, there's always like this undercurrent of like, I'm not sure, like it's this person is doing a lot of things that are really fun, but I'm not sure whether he's okay. Like, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it's, but with Joe Burrow, it's like, he's having a lot of fun. He's doing a little bit of taunting. It's not super mean spirited, but ultimately at the end of the day, like I'm very confident that he is on solid ground in terms of just like his future. You know? That was savage. That was, that was so savage. And, and, and it's honestly, it's a perfect transition because my next question for you is in the non-coaching, non-quarterback division, what were your MVPs of just content? What were the things last night during the game, let's say during the game between the lines, that mm. really got you excited last night? I have a few of my own, but I want to start with you. Uh, I, well, I, I, I don't have one off the top of my head, so let's start with yours and maybe it'll get my brain working. Sure. So, so a, a little cop-out, an honorable mention here, and he doesn't even know this is coming, but my honorable mention goes to Chris Hummer. Chris is at this game. He's been, he's been down there for the whole weekend, and he's been you know tirelessly covering the game for us, and he's he's in the press, and and he's in the middle of the stadium, insane, like, you know, sensory overload to the max. And I see in the first quarter, he sends out a tweet from TweetDeck. So it's not just that he's tweeting during the game. It's not just that he's tweeting from press row. It's not just that he's doing this, like, live in the middle of this insane game. He's finding a way to watch the game, uh, compartmentalize and see everything and tweet. He's doing it with TweetDeck. I mean, like, I, I would have, like, <laughs> uh, I have an anxiety attack. Like he's And he's just, like, locked in. So, so uh, uh, an honorable mention has to go out to Chris Hummer, uh, big fan of your work, Chris. All, all the good stuff. So, but my real MVP of content has to be broken tackles. Okay, and because there were so many fun broken tackles, just get off of me moments. Yeah, and there were. Okay, so yeah, yeah. I I will. I, I don't know if you if you've got more you want to add there, but Go ahead. Uh, I I guess mine kind of uh, building off of that is. There were broken tackle moments, and there were. It seemed for a while like LSU was going for some kind of record for these like stop start juke things. And there was a moment uh, on one of the sidelines where it seemed like Joe Burrow was about to get involved in the action too. It didn't quite. Oh yeah, and then didn't he just quite walked come out of bounds. Off. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was really incredible. Uh, I guess it was Jamar Chase, and uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting. Clive Edwards-Hilaire had one yeah. on the sideline. There were there were a lot of, oh, you're going to go there, I'm just going to go here now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a really stunning athletic performance by, by, LSU's, by LSU's playmakers. And really, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, too, like Clemson was so good and so frightening early on and you yeah. just really had an appreciation for how good they were and the fact that 
LSU ended up scoring 42 points is just a, a, a testament to, as we were talking about earlier, like LSU's in the conversation as one of the best teams. Of I all mean, time. both the, both teams, right? Like both teams had these just boom, 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 four, five, max six play drives that just yeah. completely changed the way. Like when the game started, and there were all those punts, and I was just like, "What? What have I got myself into?" Right. And and I'm sitting here, and I'm like, "This game is taking forever." We're going to talk about that at the end. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, people just start scoring. And, and you blink your eyes, you look away from the screen for two seconds, and then Jamar chases in the end zone, and it's 7-7. Seven, seven. And then you blink your eyes, and Clemson is up 17-7. Seven, seven. And then all this, like, just exploding, and these explosive plays, these awesome feats of, like, yes, this is why I'm here. And football is hard enough to be a fan of mm-hmm. when people aren't making awesome plays. And, and, and But, like, seeing all these awesome plays, like, that that's why we're here. That's why we're here. I, I, I didn't bring this up with Charles last night because I know he's not a soccer guy, but you are, like, in the first six drives of this game where it's punt, 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 I was like, man, this is a cup final where nobody yes. wants to take any risks and they just want to, like, get this thing to extra time and penalties. And I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the comparison, you know, without losing our football people, our football, not football people, uh, uh, too much. You know, the fact that they're, like, playing the field position game, yeah. like, so, so deftly, and the punts, and, and the punt coverage was incredible last night. Talk about, like, special teams is really good with the exception of that missed field goal. Special teams was really good last night. People were on their game. You know, like, Anna Hickey tweeted late last night that, you know, Clemson played a good game, and they came up against an all-time great team, yeah. and, there, and there, there's no holding your head. Like, it was just, like, a really well-played game, and so, like, these moments of just breaking tackles. You know, I I talk to my friends at home a lot about how the NFL, like people don't miss tackles in the NFL like they do in college. But like, I didn't feel like the broken tackles last night were necessarily missed tackles. I felt like they were like big get off me moments. I feel like they were game changing jukes. I feel like they were game changing just I want this touchdown more than you want this tackle. I, I didn't feel like they were, they were like mistakes. I felt like they were just moments of brilliance. Yeah, and even in a losing effort, I thought Travis Etienne looked really impressive and there were just times where as impressive as LSU's defenders are it took about three or four of them to bring him down for like a modest gain and it's just like really really impressive stuff and 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 as we talked about with Charles last night just kind of the circumstances of the game with uh, Clemson getting behind like they couldn't really r- afford to to kind of run the ball and take their time so end up having to go a little bit heavier on the passing game and uh, on what was a, a tough night for Trevor Lawrence in the context of his career it, it just was not enough to keep up with LSU what you mean the one time he ever lost a game was d- more disappointing <laughs> than all the times he won games I don't <laughs> understand I can't comprehend you know the 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 the, uh, the drive where Clemson had the ball and T Higgins was still in the locker room. Uh-huh. I thought that was an opportunity for them to maybe run a screen pass for Etienne. I mean, he's so good in open space. Didn't see that. That was interesting. I mean, they were already down. They were passing long. Just you know, like you like you said last night with Charles, Etienne was so good. He was so dynamic with the ball in his hands. Would have wondered if they could have found ways. You know, and obviously we're not play callers. Like you know, Clemson has you know stars doing that. But you know, we just wonder at home. So and. And before we move on from MVPs and and the excitement, um, I do want to have LVPs because that's funny. That's funny. It's funny. And so was there a moment in in or a person or or, or just something that happened during the game that for you was like, ooh, you hate to see it? Because I I definitely do. So I'm going to talk about the officiating, which I... I have that for later, but go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I mean... 
in particular, particularly one thing. There was a there was a big moment, and and I forget the specific players involved. I I think it was Jamar Chase was the LSU receiver. Uh, he was interfered with, just like clearly by a Clemson defender, and uh, I I don't think this was the. I don't think we get the stated rationale of why the officials decide not to throw a flag for pass interference when they make the judgment that it's an uncatchable ball. But Herbie and Fowler reached the conclusion that that's why the flag wasn't thrown. The same on the ESPN2 broadcast. And I I just really have a problem. And, and, and it was at a moment in the game where it seemed like this could be a pivotal sequence. I think... LSU, they, they did end up scoring on that drive, so it ended up not mattering. But I, th- there's this chicken egg or chicken and egg problem with the uncatchable ball rule when it is a ball that lands within the field of play. If it's chucked, you know, into into the fifth row and the stands, fine, that's one thing. But there are so many instances, including this one last night, where it seems like well, they could have had a chance in making a play. They could have dove for it if they weren't clearly being impeded from the from catching the ball and so I just it's it's one of these rules where I I don't like it I'm completely with you and I I think that was an uncatchable ball even if he's unimpeded there is no way Jamar Chase was getting to that ball but you know what there is no way uh, a defensive back should be allowed to tackle a wide receiver Without the ball, without the ball even being right, like you know, that should be at least bare minimum illegal contact downfield, right? Like you can't just randomly tackle a receiver. I don't care if the ball is like a million feet away. Right? That that's got to be some sort of penalty. There has there has to be something there. Like in in all sports, I am of the opinion that you cannot like blatantly impede your competitor without there being some sort of penalty. Yeah, and 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 so to see that this was an uncatchable ball, fine. This isn't pass interference, but bare minimum, this has to be illegal contact downfield. Yeah, it's it almost seems like it creates a situation where if you're if you're chasing a ball that is going to land like in front of you as you're running toward the end zone, you almost have an incentive as a defensive player to interfere. Uh, to impede the wide receiver's progress a little bit because there's, it seems like there's a very good chance that the officials will end up concluding that it's a, it was an uncatchable ball because it looks uncatchable when your progress was being impeded by a defender. <laughs> funny, funny how that works. Yeah. So, so that's a good call. And and in a minute, I'm gonna uh, circle back to to the referees because I'm not done with them. But my LVP is poor James Skalski. Um, mm. First. He destroys Joe Burrow in the ribs, and I think that the the conversation around that shot to the ribs, uh, I don't know if it was late in the second or, or I think it was on on the touchdown with ten seconds left in the first half, and and you could see Joe Burrow was nursing something coming out of the half, you know, to to hurt America's darling like that. That's a tough look. Yeah. But then also later in the game, the targeting hit, and and we can definitely talk about whether or not you know it was warranted the ejection. It's just tough to see a guy go out like that in the game. Like you feel for him. Like the, the, he obviously there was no malintent in this right. in this hit. That was that was 
obvious. You know, he was going for a tackle. And whether or not the referees and the game and it's good for the game that that he got ejected, you just hate to see like you know you work for this forever. And I don't care if he was in the national championship the year before. You, like this is this is the night. This is this is the game. Yeah. And he, and he had to watch from the sides. And and I see he's a junior. I don't know if he's going to go to the NFL draft, but. It's just tough to see his season end like that. That's really disappointing for him. Yeah, it is one of those things where by the by the way the rule that was written, it was absolutely the right call, and there's not really much ambiguity or uncertainty about whether it was the right call. I think where the debate gets interesting is, is the rule as it's written currently fair? Are we currently punishing people who are doing intentionally doing things that are dangerous, even you know accidentally doing things that are dangerous? Or are we just like kind of making it impossible to play this sport? And there are a couple different ways you can go about remedying that. You can look at changing the punishment structure, or you could look at changing kind of what we're like, what the definition of targeting is. And what, what ended up being the case in that call was that because he lowered his head, uh, it was targeting. Like that was basically the deal, um, and is to the head or neck area of the LSU defender. So it was like pretty open and shut case. But at the same time, it's like <laughs> if you just morally, if you look at what he did, it seemed fine. <laughs> okay, so so I have a very not serious follow up to that question. Okay. One one obvious remedy would be to play two hand touch. And so, so here's my question. Here's my question to you: If they were playing two hand touch last night, would the score have been higher or lower? Because it's definitely easier to tackle. It's definitely easier to tackle. But like, I, you have to imagine there's less contact. It's easier to run routes down the field. So, would there have been more or fewer points? So two hand touch. It, so what kind of contact is prohibited in that scenario? I don't know. Just work. <laughs> um, I'm completely spitballing. Um, so I would, I guess I would be inclined to, so I guess I'm, I'm picturing something that's a little bit more akin to a seven on seven situation, mm. which uh, I, whether or not there is more scoring in seven on seven games compared to actual football, I don't have the data and my uh, <laughs> intuitive feeling is that there is more. So I'm, I'm going to go more. Okay. Okay. I, I'm glad. I'm glad we hashed that out because that was something people at home I know were, <laughs> were 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 pining for, pining for. And this is this is, we're asking the hard hitting questions here on the College Football Daily. So I've, I've got two things, and then we can we can kind of head out here. LSU post game, tremendous celebration. We already kind of hit on that. First off, the cigars in the locker room. I don't know if you saw, but they, some of the players nearly got arrested for smoking <laughs> in a non-smoking zone indoors in the locker room. Like oh, police, man. police came and made them uh, put out the cigars. That's funny. It's legendary. It's absolutely <laughs> legendary. Um, and I sent you L- LSU posted on Instagram and on Twitter this unbelievable hype video that they made seconds after the team got to the locker room. I mean, I mean, just wow, wow, absolute swag, absolute brilliance. I have no prompts. Go ahead. And the the and the LSU video team has done such an incredible job. I mean, not that this team like requires a hype man, but just the videos that they've produced going into these major events and coming out of them has been kind of become a thing uh, unto its own in a way that I haven't really seen since. As Clemson, bef- the year before they won the national championship, like. Ele- uh, Clemson's vines, their post-game vines. R.I.P. Like, vine. 
Yeah, R.I.P. Vine, except I guess you've kind of been reborn in the form of TikTok. Absolutely not. TikTok Absolutely is evil. Not? Absolutely not. Okay. TikTok is evil. <laughs> um, but uh, I was trying to, somebody was asking me to explain what TikTok is, but I was like, Vine, but different somehow? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm showing my Vine, but like age flavored here. by Chinese authoritarianism. Okay. Um, so what were we talking about? Oh, oh, so, LSU unbelievable. Yeah, video. so like back in uh, 2016 or 2015 or whatever it was, uh, Clemson like after the Clemson game, you needed to like turn on alerts for Clemson's Twitter account because they were about to drop that post game Vine. This was like when uh, uh, Drake and Future were big and. Uh, as whatever heads up they're they're still very big they're still very big but they had that album come out together yeah that was a sick album and they uh, and like it was the thing and so they were doing all kinds of vines with drake and future songs and they were just like really good so anyway lsu's hype videos are the most successful attempt i've seen by a team to kind of capture the excitement of not only their fan base but get like the country as a whole excited about that kind of product that they're putting out. It's like I said earlier, it's just like looking for reasons to get hype about college football is good. You yeah. know, like there, there, there are enough reasons for us to be down, and but there are myriad reasons to get hype and awesome job, awesome, awesome, awesome job by LSU. And my last thing about the LSU celebration, we have to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. Dude is a legend. First, first before the game, he gives out beats to the whole team. And I don't understand how that's not impermissible benefits. That's beyond me. <laughs> um, but then, if you want to talk about impermissible benefits, dude is on the field post-game handing out cash to <laughs> players. The NCAA has to be so pissed. <laughs> I think I, I don't know. I I know LeBron. I think he also gave out beats to the Ohio State players, and yes. I don't. I, I have to assume there's some kind of bowl game loophole, bowl game gift loophole. I don't. I thought that the bowl game loophole is like only like the bowl itself is allowed to give you stuff. I don't care. I, don't know, I should probably I am do like, some reading on this. I am like a hundred percent in on players getting yeah. stuff because they kick butt. Um, I'm gonna censor myself a little there, but. I don't understand how this how it, this holds it is water. Confusing. I, it it's is awesome. very confusing. It's awesome. It's awesome. Anytime the NCAA has to squirm, I am there for it. it it's uh, speaking of Odell Beckham, like it and in seeing him on the field, it's hard not to think about. Man, what if LSU had gone to an offense like this sooner? They mm-hmm. had Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry on the same team, and like. We knew we knew they were like pretty good in, in college, but we didn't know they were like defining the position for a generation good. And um, so, like, it's it, it. You look back on that era and think about uh, you know kind of what a waste it was. And I, I guess LSU fans today are probably just feeling very excited that they've uh, finally got on board with the kind of offensive Big 12-ification of uh, college football. You know, I, I, it's, it's not even fair to, like, say that, like, having a quarterback who's, like, good at being a quarterback and not and not just good at getting out of the way is, like, <laughs> Big 12-ification of football. Like, in what world, in what corporate world will we say, you know, like, the most important position, all we need is someone who can facilitate the things for the rest of the people? Like, in what world would that be possible? And so I know I know, we're going pretty long, so I, I, I have one last category, and that's miscellaneous things that happen during the game. Yeah. 
news dump. Wow, Derek King, Derek King, <laughs> and Washington and Washington State right、uh, announced a new coach. Congratulations to everybody involved. But like, what did they think they were getting by dropping that during the national championship game? Like, I, I completely don't understand that from a marketing perspective. Well, I mean, with Derek King, I you know I, he's probably not thinking too much about marketing. I don't I don't know. Maybe he's just watching Joe Burrow have a lot of success as a transfer quarterback and finally decide, okay, I'm going to go get a taste of that myself. Is there、um, any chance he could go to LSU and just like continue this? Because like LSU, like you know, I know they're losing some guys, but like number five recruiting class in the country. You know, they're bringing in like I'm obsessed with Eric Gilbert, like. There's there's stuff coming there. Is is that possible? I, I mean, I won't pretend to know a whole lot about the situation, but Chris Hummer has a piece up on twenty four seven sports dot com right now.、We'll、plug that, and、uh, I think Arkansas is kind of perceived as is the front runner here, but we'll see. It's not honestly something I know a whole lot about. I guess you know it it would it would make a degree of sense. It's kind of a, a different, a very different fit、uh, to what. Joe Burrow was this year in in that in that Joe Brady passing attack. Although Charles Power mentioned on our on our podcast last night that you know Jarrett King will might surprise you with just how well he can throw it. He's not he's not just a runner. So. All right, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye out. He what since like since you guys announced that he was sitting out this year, he's just been kind of like someone who's been in the back of my mind. I've just been wondering.、Uh, so so that that was wild to me. <laughs> Two news dumps in the middle of the natty, and I just that that was that was absolutely bizarre. And so I'm, I'm cutting you off because I know I know you have things to do and and, and you're a busy man. So、um, the last thing, and and you are literally never in a million years going to know where I'm about to go with this.、Mm. <laughs> The last thing is Dr Pepper's Fanville. They announced that the season was over and that they're coming back next year for season three. And how do you feel about Fanville? Because it seems to me like some sort of like really insulting parody. So I was honestly totally unaware that the commercials we were seeing were a cereal that was like building to something. And I and I actually didn't see the dramatic conclusion that everybody seems to have been extremely disappointed by. I didn't see the conclusion either. I just like the presence of Fanville. Like someone in my fantasy football league is like very obsessed with recurring characters in commercials, so I've been like tuned into this. <laughs> yeah. And and it just seems to me like、um, that like you you hate to see yourself become a parody or, or some sort of like mockery, and it really doesn't feel like the the Dr Pepper people are like in on the joke. It just kind of feels like look, we're on the outside. Like look, we we the college football barbecues and like passion, you know. I don't know. I th- I feel like they understand. I I find a lot of them on, like on an individual basis very funny, and I appreciate going back to my not realizing that they were part of some broader uh, 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 Dr Pepper cinematic universe that we were, <laughs> and that like last night was supposed to be Infinity War of uh, the uh, the uh,、um, of. The, the fansville, I, I was that was totally lost on me. I was enjoying them as kind of one-off, absurdist takes on various elements of college football culture, and the fact that you don't—I I, didn't—I didn't think you had to know all, all this backstory. And so, like, I'm honestly like pretty exasperated with like the State Farm type commercials where we've been on this months-long saga with Aaron Rodgers and this agent, and I've forgotten what the original joke was,、uh, explaining why he's hanging out with this guy. And I think he's Aaron Rodgers is like. Agent, sports agent. agent, yeah, and yeah. and the guy is jealous because now he has an insurance agent. But like, 
what sports agent would ever want to get into insurance? It's obviously a flawed premise. <laughs> obviously a flawed premise. But I d- definitely would say that Fansville has better execution than the State Farm stuff. And that that's like beyond uh, frustrating. The, the, the basketball ones are equally annoying with Chris Paul. Okay, so, so, so the College Football Daily is in on Fansville. We are in on enjoying college football. And we are completely in on the 2019-2020 LSU Tigers. Is that, is that fair to say? That's absolutely right. Yeah, I think I think at this point, if you're not in on the 2019-2020 LSU Tigers, you need to get a new job. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, I am in, so I'm staying put. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's rambly, bizarre, and unprecedented episode of the College Football Daily. Uh, make sure to follow Chris Hummer, Connor Tap, Trey Scott on Twitter. The College Football Daily is also on Twitter, and uh, subscribe, like. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this season. We've got another episode coming to you tonight. We've got Trey, Scott, and Chris who are at the game. They're going to talk about what it was like at the game. I'm sure it's, you know, Trey Trey, and Chris, they have wildly different perspectives of in-game experience. So I imagine it'll be, it'll be something uh, to listen to. So be sure to check that out tonight or tomorrow morning, I should say. Uh, but until next time, I'm Tony Levitt, your producer signing off. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.